The scripture reading tonight is Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We will read the whole chapter, and the text is the last three verses, verses 22 through 24. I think I've preached maybe a couple sermons from the Genesis series I'm doing in Edgerton here. This is just a continuation of it. The last sermon I preached there was on verses 22 to 24, so that's what I bring you tonight. This is God's word, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. And thou shalt bruise his heel. Unto the woman he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. 
Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord make coats of skins and clothed them. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way, to keep the way of the tree of life. And so far do we read God's holy word. The text is verses 22 to 24, and I'll read those again, just so we are, have it right before us and very familiar with it. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil, and now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat, and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Today we learn about a great consequence of Adam and Eve's sin. The first consequence is that they died. They died spiritually as those who had sinned and they began to die physically and one day their body would be separated from their soul. Connected with that consequence of death was this consequence. They were removed or exiled from the Garden of Eden. And that was a very, very hard consequence. You think maybe about something in your life where you did something foolish. And because you did something foolish, you missed out on a great opportunity. Or you lost something that was a very precious possession. And then from that day forward, you often thought, because of what I did, I missed out. Or I lost that. Well, now you think about Adam and Eve. Going forward, they think, I sinned. I did that. I was foolish in the garden. And because of that, I now can't live in that Garden of Eden anymore. It was very difficult for them, very hard. They were expelled from paradise. But they were not expelled or exiled from paradise without hope. No, they had hope. And and that in Scripture, hope in Scripture is a certain expectation that good is coming. And they had hope. They had a certain expectation for a better paradise, a heavenly paradise. And we who have fallen in Adam... We, by God's grace, have the same hope. 
hope for a, a better paradise, a heavenly paradise. And may we be built up in that hope through God's word and his promises we hear tonight. Death can be hard. It is hard. It can be dark, really, to, to look at and think about that <coughs> separation of body and soul. May the word tonight serve to build us up in hope of the heavenly paradise. Let's consider the text under the theme, Exiled from Paradise with Hope. Exiled from Paradise with Hope. First, exiled, and second, with hope. First, exiled. If we are going to understand Adam and Eve's exile from the garden, we first have to know that Adam and Eve sinned. They were sinners and they now knew good and evil according to verse 22. They sinned and died spiritually. God had made them very good. Genesis 1 verse 31 says that. They were God's friends. Now God gave his friends commands. and You remember those, com- those commands. He said to eat of the tree of life and don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he even attached a warning to that command saying that the day you eat of the tree of knowledge, you shall surely die. Satan came into that garden. Eve was tempted by him. And Eve fell. She ate of the forbidden fruit and then she gave it to Adam and he fell. They because of their sin, died. They died spiritually and they died physically. <coughs> that they died spiritually means that they became totally corrupt in every part, full of sin within. So that by nature, all they wanted to do was sin and all they could do was sin. They were dead in sin by nature. Adam and Eve also began to die physically. Their bodies got older every day. And eventually their body would be separated from their soul. And if they weren't delivered, they would go to hell to die forever. Now in verse 22, God says concerning man, man who fell, God says, behold, the man is become as one of us, To know good and evil. God says man has become as one of us. Notice that us there is plural. God is speaking there within his own Trinitarian being. So you notice that this passage, one of the very first in the Bible, clearly shows that God is a triune God. He is one in being. He is three in persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, the triune God here says, man is become as one of us. That means man is become like God. And when we read that, we think, how? How did man who just sinned become like God? Well, here's how. He, man, now knows good and evil. And that word know has the idea of distinguish or determine. It can have that meaning sometimes in Scripture. Here, that's the idea. 
God knows good and evil in the sense that he determines what is good and what is evil. He determines what is right and what is wrong. He distinguishes between the two. Well, that fallen man now knows good and evil as God does means that he now determines for himself what is good and what is evil. What is right and what is wrong. And man being now dead in sin, he, when he determines what's right and what's wrong, he always does it in opposition to God. He's fallen. So God says that something is good, Natural man says it's bad. It's not their good way. God says something's evil. Natural man says it's good. So Adam and Eve, by nature, now knew good and evil in the sense that they would now determine it for themselves. And they would always make the wrong determination. They were now rebels against God by nature. And what happened to man there we see the lie of the devil. The devil's a liar. That's what his name even means. In Genesis 3, verses 4 and 5, the devil told Eve that the day that they ate of this fruit, of the tree of knowledge, the day they ate of it, their eyes would be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And that word gods in verse 5 it's literally, it's, it's God. So Satan was saying, you'll be as God, knowing good and evil, if you eat of this forbidden fruit. There was an element of truth to that. They would become like God. They would become like God if they ate of it, in the sense that they would now determine for themselves what is good and what is evil. However, the devil made it sound like this would be a good thing. For them. And it definitely wasn't. After eating the forbidden fruit, man determined for himself what was right and what was wrong, but always made the wrong determination by nature. And so, left to himself, man would walk in sin now, walk in then the way of misery, for he'd be walking far from God, and he would go down to destruction and hell. So remember that about the devil and the temptations that you face. Kids, remember that. The devil's a liar. We need to learn that now. The devil comes to us every day, many times per day, and says this certain thing is wrong. You know it's wrong, but he says it'll be good. Just do it now. It'll be good for you. He's a liar every time. That way that the devil tries to get us to go down is always the bad way, the way of misery, trouble. God's way is the good way. Kids, remember that this week. And adults, too. The devil's a liar. His temptations that we face, he's, he's lying to us. Now, since Adam and Eve sinned, and they now knew good and evil, they had to be barred from the tree of life. They had to be kept from it. Verse 22 says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. 
And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. No two truths about that tree of life that Adam and Eve had to be kept from. First, that tree of life gave unending earthly life. It gave unending earthly life. Verse 22 says, Take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. There was no death in the garden before Adam fell, but that does not mean that Adam could not die. Man was mortal as one who had been made from the dust of the earth. God told him to eat of the tree of life. That tree gave unending earthly physical life. Eating of it, man would not die. Would not die physically. Second thing to remember about the tree is that it was a symbol of covenant life with God. A symbol of covenant life with him. God told Adam to eat of it and he would live. Well, when Adam went to eat of that tree, he enjoyed life with God there. When he went to that tree to eat, he was living in dependence on God, looking to him for strength, for life, for sustaining power. He, was, he went there in obedience to God. That's where God said to go. So there, eating of that tree, Adam enjoyed closeness with the Lord. It was, that tree was a symbol of covenant life with God. After sinning, though Adam and Eve had to be kept from that tree. We understand that. They, they couldn't be allowed to eat of that tree that gave unending earthly life. Because they sinned. Because they sinned, they now had to die. According to Genesis 2, verse 17, God had told them, said, the day you eat of that tree of knowledge, you will surely die. So they couldn't be allowed now to go eat of the tree of life that would keep them from physical death. God's a just God. He does what's right, always does what's right. So they couldn't be allowed back for that tree But also this, because of Adam and Eve's sin, they could not have fellowship with God anymore in the way of going to that tree of life. God's holy. Adam and Eve and and man, they were now sinners. And there has to be separation between the two. God's holy means he's set apart from sin. He hates sin. So, God and Adam and Eve, God and man, couldn't go together anymore and have fellowship of that, of that tree, at that tree. They could not have fellowship with the holy God in the way of going to the tree of life. And thus God exiled Adam and Eve from the garden. He barred them from it. Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden and cherubims and a flaming sword kept them from returning. Verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden. And verse 24 adds, So he drove out the man. Adam and Eve surely wanted to stay. 
This garden had the tree of life, the tree that would keep one from physical death, the physical death that must have been scary to them, as it can be to us, too, to think about. The garden was a beautiful, lush place, too. It's where plants grew so well and where the, the fruit was so wonderful to eat, delicious. But God drove man out, meaning he made man to go. And you can imagine Adam and Eve grabbing the few things that they had in that garden and, and walking out and looking around one last time at different things on their way out. But gone, they can't go back. Verse 23 says, God drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims. Cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Cherubims are angels. Scripture speaks of them as heavenly spirits that it often depicts them as having wings. Psalm 18 verse 10 says, He rode upon a cherub and did fly. The cherubims were at the east of the garden along with a fiery sword that turned every way, we read, turned every way to keep the way to the tree of life. That word keep there means guard, so the flaming sword helped guard the way to the tree of life. Scripture doesn't say exactly, but it may very well be that that flaming sword was in the hands of the cherubims. That sword turned every way so nobody could get past it. Nobody could get to the tree of life. And if they did, that flaming sword would destroy them. It represented the wrath of God. The fiery wrath of God would consume and destroy anybody that tried to get past. So the way clearly was barred. They could not fellowship with God in the way of going to the tree of life any longer. Now the cherubims, we read, were placed at the east of the garden. So the idea is that the cherubims with that flaming sword blocked the entire garden, kept anybody from coming in at all. They could no longer live in the place then where they had enjoyed such wonderful fellowship with God. The place where that fruit had grown so wonderfully and where... They hardly had, they didn't have to work hard at, at all. It was wonderful, delightful work there. They couldn't go to that place where the, the tree of life produced fruit that gave unending earthly life. Couldn't go there. And they now lived, they were exiled and now lived in the country of Eden. We read later in Genesis 4, verse 16, that Cain was Adam and Eve's son. Cain, he left Eden. And it says he went to live in the land of Nod, which was on the east of Eden. So that indicates that after Adam and Eve were expelled from the Garden of Eden, they lived in the country of Eden. And probably on the east side of that country, because that's, we think that because that's where the, the cherubims were stationed, and that's where they guarded the entrance. So likely Adam and Eve were on that side, on the east side. Adam and Eve lived near, near the garden then. They lived in that country of Eden. They often saw the garden, but they couldn't go back in. 
They were now exiled from it and they had, were exiled into hard work. They lived right near that garden where they used to work with such joy and now exiled with hard work. Verse 23 of the text says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. That word till there means work. So now he would work the ground. This was difficult now. Before Adam's sin, he'd enjoyed life in the garden, work in the garden. He had work there. But there was no death of any plants. There were no weeds to deal with. It didn't take hard work to get food from the plants. He worked there, but always with great delight, all and always in the service of God. Perfect. And now, after his sin, he was put out of the garden, and his work became hard. Genesis 3, verse 17 tells us that God cursed the ground. And that means that he spoke a word of wrath upon that ground. There were now weeds that that harmed and choked the the good plants, keeping them from producing fruit, and, and plants died. And God says about the ground in verse 17, In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. And that word sorrow means pain, hardship. So you will toil, you will work hard for the the rest of your days to get food and to survive. You'll labor by the sweat of the brow, we read. That's what their life would consist of, hard work. And we understand that. Our lives now, as those who live on this sin-cursed earth... Our lives now consist of hard work. Some of you are or have been involved in farming in your life. You know that it's hard work to get a yield from the ground. All of us, though, in all the job, different jobs that we've had, we, we see it takes hard work to make money to buy food. We labor by the sweat of the brow. That's what our life really consists of. Labor. We do that to survive on this earth. Well, Adam and Eve's life, it now would consist of work, and then they would die. Their life here was now just a pilgrimage. They would live here for a time, and then they would die and go somewhere where they would then spend forever. This life, though, here, just a pilgrimage, and they knew it. God had said that they would die if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had eaten of it. There was no more tree of life. They couldn't get to the tree of life anymore. That tree that gave unending earthly life. So they would certainly die one day. Their body would be separated from their soul. And they would go somewhere else. And that's where they would spend forever. And that place where they would spend forever, if not delivered, was hell with Satan. And they knew it. They had taken his side. How hard that must have been for Adam and Eve to think about. They lived in a place where there was no death. Now they knew they would work here for a time and their body would be separated from their soul and they would go die eternally in hell if not delivered. We are only pilgrims on the earth, too. There's no tree of life that we can get to. We will die one day. Our body will be separated from our soul and we will go somewhere else to spend forever. 
We're here for a time. We'll work. Then we'll die. We're just pilgrims passing through. We've been reminded of that in our lives. We've had loved ones that die. We're confronted with death often. That's the reality of our situation here, just pilgrims. And if we're not delivered, we too would go to hell. And that's where we would spend forever. That's what we deserve. But our God is gracious. Our God is wonderful. Adam and Eve were exiled from that garden, exiled unto an earthly pilgrimage, but not without hope. They had great hope. And to understand that hope, know this, that the garden, the garden served to the building up of their hope. That garden they lived next to now served to the building up of their hope. To understand that. It's implied in the passage that paradise was not destroyed, but that paradise remained after Adam and Eve sinned and were exiled. Notice, well, it mu- that must be true because God put cherubims and a flaming sword there to guard the entrance and to keep people from the tree of life. And the tree of life is specifically spoken of in the text as remaining. Scripture doesn't precisely tell us how long the garden and the trees remained, but it's likely that they stayed there until the first world was destroyed. That is, until the the flood came. So the garden remained, but it was different. Man had had lived with God there and talked with God there. God had been present there in a special way. But now God was no longer present there in a special way. He only dwells in heaven in a special way now. He looks down on men from there so that there's now a a distance between man and between God. Also, the garden was not as beautiful and lush anymore after the fall. There was now death there too and weeds grew there as well. So the garden was certainly different. God could have destroyed it, though, right after Adam and Eve sinned. But he didn't. And we might wonder why. Why did the garden stay there? Why did God keep it there? Well, the fact that paradise remained, that that was hard for Adam and Eve in a sense. They lived near to it. They lived in the country of Eden. So they saw that garden, no doubt. They saw it often. When they saw it, they could tell that it was different. It must have been for them something like it would be for you if you went to, back to your parents' house after they've died. And, and you see the house and the yard looks the same. And the, the furnishings on the outside look the same. And maybe you even can go inside and you see it, much of it looks the same. And you think about the family fellowship you had there and the good times there But now it's different. It's different because your parents aren't there anymore. and There's not the family fellowship there that there once was. Well, that must have been somewhat how Adam and Eve felt when they looked at 
the Garden of Eden. There were some similarities to the past, but it wasn't the same because their, their father wasn't there anymore in a special way. But when they saw the garden, they were still reminded of the beautiful life that they used to have there before they sinned. They were still reminded of the beautiful fellowship they had there. In that garden, they had once walked with God without sin, and, with, and they had no misery, perfectly serving Him all the time. Perfect friendship. They could remember that place. That place was teeming with life. There was no death there. And there were no weeds And there was not hard work where we had to labor so hard by the sweat of the brow to get get fruit. It was wonderful, delightful work. We were kings and queens of creation there. Pressing all things into the service of God. What a delight it was. They were so happy there. And they must have have pressed their faces sometimes against the fence of the garden and, and thought upon those days of old. And even yearned for them. It was hard for Adam and Eve to see the garden in a sense. But the continued presence of the garden was also used to give them hope. The continued presence of the garden was used by the gracious God to give them hope for a better paradise. A heavenly paradise. God kept that first paradise there as a promise of a better paradise to come. He kept it there as a picture for them of the heavenly paradise that was theirs through that promised seed of the woman. You see, we can understand how that garden pointed them to the better paradise when we remember that God had promised to Adam and Eve victory over sin and death through the seed of the woman in verse 15. Verse 15, God had said to Satan, But in the presence of Adam and Eve, he said, I will put enmity between thee, Satan, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. God had promised that the seed of the woman, which is the Christ, according to Galatians chapter 3 and other passages too. God had promised that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head. Of Satan. He would defeat Satan. So that Satan could not bring Adam and Eve, or God's people, down to hell. The seed of the woman would save his people from the devil and from hell by paying for the sins of his people. God gave Adam and Eve that promise, verse 15, and he gave them faith in that promise. They believed in the Messiah. God's promise to them in verse 15 showed that another way was open to fellowship with God. That way to the tree was closed. Tree of life. That way was closed. They couldn't go there. But the way to fellowship with God was open to them now through the promised Savior. The one who would come and take away their sins. The one who would defeat the devil. So God kept the first paradise around to point Adam and Eve to the heavenly paradise that was theirs through the promised seed of the woman. And God gave them great hope in that way. He used that first paradise, its continued presence there 
He used it to give them hope. According to verse 20, Adam called his wife Eve. He called his wife Eve and he says, because she was the mother of all living. Now that she is the mother of all living doesn't mean that she was just the mother of some who lived on this earth for a time and then died. No, the idea is that Adam's saying from her will come those who truly live, who live with God forever. From her will come a spiritual seed that will live with God forever through the work of the seed of the woman. Adam and Eve had hope for life eternal, a certain expectation. Remember, that's what hope is, a certain expectation that they would live with God forever. They would live with him in the heavenly paradise because of the promised Savior. They didn't understand all of what that meant, that they would live forever with God in the heavenly paradise. They didn't have the full revelation of Scripture as we do today. But they knew that when their earthly pilgrimage ended at death, they were not going to be brought to hell. They would be brought to live with God. They would be brought to live with God in the place where there are not enemies, where there is no sin. It would be wonderful. And they had hoped that one day that great seed, promised seed of the woman would come and would make all things new. They saw the death around them, lived in a sin-cursed creation. They had hoped that Christ would come and make all things new. God used that original paradise then in connection with the promise in Genesis 3 verse 15 to give them hope. Hope for life eternal. They already enjoyed life with God while they were on the earth. We read in chapters after this, they made sacrifices. They enjoyed fellowship and friendship with God through those sacrifices that pointed to Christ. But their high hope, their longing was for the heavenly paradise where there would be no sin or enemies or struggles. And they had hoped that day was coming. How good God was to them in giving them that hope. Think of what Adam and Eve now were going to go through. They would live a life, a long life on this earth that was full of struggles, hard work, difficulties. They'd see death. But they had hope. He preserved, God preserved that Garden of Eden to show them you're going to live forever in the better paradise. God was good to them. God is good to us too. We, believers, we go through this earthly pilgrimage also with hope. Now, the way for us to fellowship with God has also been opened by the sacrifice of Christ. We have no way to fellowship with the holy God left to ourselves. None at all. We, we sinned in Adam and we have sinned every day. God's holy, set apart from sinners. So, that there can be no fellowship with God left to ourselves. That there has to be we have to be kept from him, separated from him. 
and, and we can't make payment for sin to remove that barrier. To make payment for sin, someone has to suffer under God's wrath against the sins of his people while perfectly loving God. We can't pay that debt. So as far as we're concerned, the, the way to fellowship with God is life with him is it's cut off. Left to ourselves, there's no fellowship with him. There's only death, hell, no heaven. The way for us, God's people, to fellowship with God, though, has been opened by the sacrifice of Christ. And you think tonight of what Christ has done. How he went to Calvary and he there was, was suffering under the fiery sword of God's wrath. Remember that sword in, in Eden that barred the way to the tree of life? Fiery sword of God's wrath. That fiery sword came upon Christ, having our sins upon himself. And he died there on the cross. By his death there, he paid for all those sins. All those sins we've committed today in our life. He removed that barrier then. By paying for those sins. Remove that barrier. So now we have fellowship with God. The Old Testament saints, they enjoyed that fellowship with God in their life and and through sacrifices. Sacrifices that pointed to Christ. Well, we, we enjoy fellowship with God now too because of what Jesus has done. We now have God even living within us by his Holy Spirit. And we hear him speak to us in love about what he's done for us and is doing. And we speak back to him in prayer and song what fellowship we have now based on Christ's cross work. Praise God for that. We will live with God now based on Christ's work and we will also live with him forever. God doesn't use the garden anymore to promise and point us to a a heavenly paradise. That garden's gone. But what God does use today to point, to point us to the heavenly paradise, and to point us to the glorious future, what he does use today is his word. He uses his word to give us hope. He promises us believers in the word that when we die, we will go to heavenly life with God forever in our souls. We will go to live with God in heaven in our souls. Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Luke 23, verse 43, he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. He says to us believers today, When you die, you will go to be with me in paradise in your soul. We will enjoy even better fellowship with God there than we do here. Because there, the fellowship will not be hindered by any sin. You can hardly imagine that. The fellowship will never be hindered by any sin. We'll perfectly serve him. There will be no sin, and so then also no, none of the effects of sin. None, no sorrow, no, no crying, no sickness, no pain, no death. None of that. And the work there, 
will never be work that we don't enjoy. It will all be enjoyable and always done to the glory of God. That's where we're going in our souls when we die. And there's more. God gives us further promises in his word. He promises that after Christ's return, we will live with God in the new heavens and new earth. In body and soul. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3. It would be good to open to that passage while we read it. And we read about God's promise to us of life eternal. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3. Tells us about this everlasting life. We read there, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him. What a beautiful picture. Revelation 22 speaks of the tree of life, you notice, being in the new heavens and new earth. And that's because that tree of life, as we learned before, the tree of life is a symbol of covenant life with God. In the Garden of Eden, the tree of life was a symbol of covenant life with God. Adam enjoyed covenant life with God there as he ate of that tree. While scripture speaks of that tree of life being in the new heavens and new earth, to show to us that's what the new heavens and new earth will be all about. It will be all about life with God, fellowship, friendship with Him. We will lean on Him all the time, perfectly serving Him and enjoying His nearness at every moment. What a, what a wonder that will be. And like it was in Eden, there will be no sin in heaven to hinder that fellowship. Revelation 22 verse 3 says, His servants shall serve him. And there will be no curse there either. The creation now is affected by the curse. We know that. There are now weeds and hard work. There's sickness. There's death. But in heaven, in the new heavens and new earth, there is no more curse. So again, all the work will be always enjoyable, always done to the glory of God. There will be no weeds, there will be no sickness, no pain. That's astounding. And no death. We'll never get older. And heaven and the new heavens and new earth, after Christ's return, so heaven now and heaven and the, or heaven, or the new heavens and new earth in the future, that will be even better than the Garden of Eden was for Adam and Eve. And that's for two reasons. It will be even better in heaven and in the new heavens and new earth because we will never be able to sin in glory. There will be no tree of knowledge there. Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3, you notice when you read that, it never talks about the tree of knowledge being there. We will never, 
ever sin there and never be able to. So it'll be better in that way than the Garden of Eden was, than the first paradise was. And also this, unlike Adam in the Garden, we will see God in heaven in the face of Jesus Christ. Revelation 22 verse 4 even says that we will see his face. That's the Lamb's face. We will see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads. So we will see the risen and ascended Lord, the one who died for us, will see his face in glory and his love will be shining forth towards us. We'll see the face of the one who who gave his life on the cross for us and, and how wonderful that will be. So sometimes we think about what it must have been like at Eden, how wonderful it was there in the garden. It will be even more wonderful in, in heavenly glory. And that's our future. That's where we're going. And we're going there only because the Lamb has opened the way for us to the Father by his great sacrifice. The Holy Spirit uses that name Lamb for Jesus Christ in Revelation 22, verses 1 through 3. He uses that name Lamb for a reason. It's pointing us to the sacrifice that he made. To open that way to the Holy Father. So praise be to God for that lamb tonight. What a, what a savior he is. And we leave tonight with hope then. We leave tonight with hope and a desire to praise our great God. We have great hope this week. This week again there will be struggles. We again lived on a, we live on a sin-cursed earth. There will be pains. There will be sorrows. There may even be death. We have hope. We have a certain expectation for life forever with our God because of the sacrifice of Christ. Live with that hope this week. And as you think about it, praise God. Praise the God of our salvation for sending the Savior. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father which art in heaven, Lord, we are thankful to thee for the hope we have in Jesus Christ. We are a people that have sinned in Adam and sinned many times, more than we even know. We deserve to be brought down to eternal death and hell. But Lord, thou hast sent Jesus Christ in thy grace and thy love for us. He has opened the way to thee that we might live with thee forever. Lord, through the scripture, through the word tonight that we've heard, build us up in that hope we have for life forever with thee. And as we face struggles and trials this week again, and, and maybe even death, Lord, may we have that hope for life everlasting with thee in the heavenly paradise. Lord, strengthen us to praise thee as well. Thou art worthy. In Jesus' name we pray this all. Amen.